All right, well, for Father's Day today, I got a, a word. We're still in the book of Proverbs, and so we've been talking the last several weeks about life hacks from the book of Proverbs. Literally been going back, looking at wisdom from the book of Proverbs to tell us and teach us how to avoid pride, teach us how to be more diligent. And just like we did with Mother's Day, the, the, the book of Proverbs has a whole lot to say about fathers. And so I want to spend some time taking some time to go through the book of Proverbs, just to give you a few verses from here as, as we set this up today. And really, the entire book of Proverbs, as you think about it, we told you it's written by King Solomon, and it's really, the whole book is a father's wisdom to his sons. And it's Solomon's way to leave a deposit so his sons can know how to conduct themselves and live their lives in a way that brings them victory. And in fact, it, it harkens back, though, to a time when society understood the true role of a father in his home. See, the enemy has had an agenda for the, the last few decades or so to redefine and break down God's established family, and it started off with a goal of marginalizing the role of the father inside of the family. And so I want to look at the book of Proverbs, and let's, let's, let's start over in chapter 1 of Proverbs. Chapter 1, and let's read verse <clears throat> number 10. Oh, sorry, verse number 8, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8. It says, my child... Listen when your father corrects you, and do not neglect your mother's instruction. If you flip over to chapter 3 of Proverbs, verse 11 and 12 says, My child, do not reject the Lord's discipline, and do not be upset when he corrects you. For the Lord corrects those he loves. Somebody say, thank you, Lord. Come on, you didn't say it like you mean to say, thank you, Lord. The Lord corrects those he loves just like a father corrects a child in whom he delights. In other words, if a dad loves you, he's not going to just watch you go off track and not say something about it. Skip over to chapter 6 of Proverbs. Look at another verse in chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse number 20. <clears throat> it says, My son, obey your father's commands and do not neglect your mother's instructions. And then skip over to verse, or chapter 4 rather, Proverbs chapter 4, and beginning at verse number 1. It says, my children, listen when your father corrects you. Notice a pattern here. Fathers are, in the book of Proverbs, constantly talking about fathers helping kids to get back on track. Fathers not just being silent, letting their kids wander into destruction and death and not saying something to help get them back in the path where they should be. My children, listen when your father corrects you. Pay attention and learn good judgment. He said, for I am giving you good guidance. Don't turn away from my instruction. Solomon said, for I too was once my father's son. I was tenderly loved as my mother's only child. My father taught me, and this is what he said. He said, take my words to heart, follow my commands, and you will live. Get wisdom, son. Develop some good judgment. Don't forget my words and don't turn away from them. Don't turn your back on wisdom because wisdom will protect your life. Love wisdom and she will guard you. Getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do. And whatever else you do, develop good judgment. If you prize wisdom, she will make you great. Embrace wisdom and she will honor you. She will place a lovely wreath on your head. She will present you with a beautiful crown. My child, listen to me and do as I say and you will have a long and a good life. Come on, isn't that everybody's goal to have a long life and a good life? Come on, we don't want to have a good life and it gets cut short. And we don't have a long life and it's miserable the entire time. 
And what this father is saying is, if you listen to the wisdom I'm trying to give you, son or daughter, this wisdom will cause you to not only live a long time, but it'll make sure your days are good days as you live them out. And so it takes us back again to a time when we recognize that the influence of a father inside the family is paramount. And despite how insignificant the world tries to present it, dads really do play a very special and a critical role inside the family. The problem we have today in our society, however, is that even though dads play a vital role inside the family, we have an epidemic of fatherlessness. In fact, I was looking at some stats from the Center for Equal Opportunity, and this data comes from 2018. This says for all racial and ethnic groups combined, 39.6% of births in the United States are out of wedlock births. And for blacks, that number rises to 69.4%. For American Indians and, and Alaska Natives, it's 68.2%. For Hispanics, it's 51.8%. For whites, it's 28.2%. And for Asian Americans, it's 11.7%. In other words, those are the percentages when you break down the different ethnic groups of how many children are born out of wedlock. And what that really means or what the implication is, is typically when a child is born out of wedlock, there's a good chance that the dad is not present in the house and may not be present in the child's life at all. And if you ask, well, what's the big deal about that? Because society would leave you to think it's not that big a deal. It doesn't really matter if dad is there or not. But if you take a look at why that is so important, it's because... Research shows when a child is raised in a father-absent home, they are affected in the following ways. They have a four times greater risk of ending up in poverty. They're more likely to have behavioral problems. They have a two-time greater risk of infant mortality. They're more likely to go to prison, more likely to commit a crime, seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teenager. They're more likely to face abuse and neglect more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol, and they're two times more likely to suffer obesity and two times more likely to drop out of school. Now, we don't say these stats to leave the single mom feeling in despair, to feel like there's no hope, because at the end of the day, I'm the product of a single mom. So I'm, I'm, I'm evidence first right here standing in front of you that God can still come on, work with a single mom. And God can be a father to the father. So this is not to disparage or leave the single mom feeling hopeless or like your child's got to end up as a statistic, but it's to help us understand that dads really do matter. <laughs> Society tries to make it feel like as long as you got mom, everything is fine. But the reality is, according to these stats, and these are stats that I've been looking at for the last 20 plus years, and they've been consistent. What we're trying to help us understand is that dads really do play a very vital role. In fact, the ancient community of Israel there were three different offices that they had that they recognized in Israel. Israel recognized the office of prophet. They recognized the office of priest. And Israel recognized the office of a king. Those are the three offices that helped to govern and lead Israel. And in our lives today as, as born-again believers, Jesus kind of plays all three of those, prophet, priest, and king. And Jaime knows he does a great job of doing those for us. Well, I want to spend a few minutes today helping you understand that that's what Jesus does for the body of Christ as a whole. But for the individual family, God has called the dad to play that same role, a prophet, priest, and king in our homes. And I want to take some time to help you understand what that looks like inside the home structure for the prophet. Let me tell you what a prophet does or did within Israel. The prophet spoke to the people on God's behalf. The prophets were God's chosen spokesmen. Their words came from God, and they preached to call people back to faith in God 
and to obedience in him. God would use the prophets every time Israel started straying, going off track, every time Israel started being influenced by other cultures, every time Israel started allowing themselves to wonder and, and think like the Amalekites and, and, and start having desires like the Canaanites, God would use the prophets to give a fair warning to Israel to let them know, hey, you can keep going this direction if you want. It's not going to end well. And the prophets would help bring Israel back to a place of recognizing the need to do things God's way. Well, the Bible says this in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. It says, if people can't see what God is doing, they end up stumbling all over themselves. But when they attend or pay attention to what he reveals, another way of saying that is when they do what God said to do, then the end result is they are most blessed. Somebody say, that's a life hack. Come on, say it like me. That's a life hack. I mean, we could say this way. That's a cheat code. If you want to know how to win in this thing called life, if you want to know how to end up most blessed, I can give you 12 keys to succeeding in your finances. I give you 19 keys to winning in your marriage, but I could give you just one master key. The master key is do what God said to do, and life ends up being blessed. It doesn't mean that there's not some challenges that will come your way, but if we simply learn to train ourselves to, to fall in line, to adjust ourselves to what God has said to do, the Bible says that those are the people that end up most blessed. Well, now, that's true in any situation, which means when any people, including a family, can't see what God is doing, the Bible says we end up stumbling all over ourselves. We end up missing the mark. We end up struggling to live this thing called life. But when we can see what God says and do what he says, we end up most blessed. Probably one of the greatest reasons for the decline in our nation today is that we're living in a, in a, in a season. We're living in a, in a generation, I should say where the lack of fatherly direction in the home has hindered us and put us in a place of moral decline. You can, you can, we can blame it on whatever. We can blame it on Democrats. You can blame it on the Republicans. But the truth of the matter is, no matter who's in the White House, what really matters is who's running your house. And I think one of the big struggles that we live with today is that we've gotten so dependent upon somebody outside of our house to create a new law, to fix something, to change something, to make things better at our house. Truth of the matter is, what happens in my house depends a lot more on me than it does who's gotten elected to live in the White House. It's important to vote. It's important to pray for our leaders. But we got to recognize we got to get back to a time where dads opened up our mouths and spoke life into our families. Proverbs 18, 21 says this, what you say can mean life or death. Those who speak with care will be rewarded. See, before children grow to an age where they become mature enough to recognize Jesus as their Lord and to have Jesus start speaking identity into them, that's what happens with all of us. We get, we, we get to an age where our faith stops being our mother and our father's faith, and we go to a little fork in the road. We got to decide, is this going to be my faith as well? And when our faith becomes our own, at whatever age that is, that's when Jesus starts speaking to us and helping to crystallize our identity. It's kind of what happened to him in Luke chapter 4 when the Bible says that after he had been fasting, he went into the synagogue, he opened up the scroll, and he found a place where it was written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach the good tidings to the poor, et cetera, et cetera. When he finished, he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and he said, this day that scripture is being fulfilled in your hearing. If I were to translate that, he said, what I just read in Isaiah is talking about me. I like to say Jesus found himself in scripture. Well, every one of us comes to a place where we should come to a place where we find our identity in Christ and Christ starts to crystallize 
who we are, what our purpose is, and why he put us on this planet. But before we get to a place where we're old enough and we're mature enough to find our identity in Christ, listen to this, our father's words are supposed to tell us who we are. Dad's words are supposed to secure who we are. Mother's words are supposed to remind us that everything's going to be all right. Dad's words are supposed to identify and solidify in our heart who we really are. The problem that we run into in our society today is that there are a lot of men that have been silent, haven't been saying anything. There are a lot of men that have been saying something, but have been saying the wrong words. Then there are a lot of men that have kind of relegated the duty of speaking spiritual life into the children. We've left it to mom. Unfortunately, sometimes we've left it to the TV. Sometimes we left it to social media. Sometimes we left it to pop culture or hip-hop culture. And the end result is we are finding ourselves with a whole generation of young people who have the identity of death instead of the identity of life. And it's simply because dads haven't been speaking the right words into their kids. How do you know that? Well, because you look around, man, and so many of our young ladies that they don't know who they are. So many of our young ladies are starving for love, so they've allowed themselves to become what some rap song has called them. They've allowed themselves to become some sex object where they feel like the only way they can get a guy's attention is to take off more and more clothes, post more and more on their social media, allow guys to oogle and, and climb into their direct messages and send them all kind of messages and, and allow themselves to really just be valued for what they have between their legs, not what they have between their ears. Come on, I'm preaching better than you are saying amen today. And it's because we have a whole generation of young ladies that are starving to have a dad look at them in a healthy, loving way. Not in a way where some uncle or some father or some teacher is attempting to touch some young girl or approach her in a way that's inappropriate. We got a whole host of young ladies that don't know how to be loved by a father figure the right way. We have a host of young guys, man, who don't know what real masculinity is. They don't understand what it means to be strong and be a man. And as a result, they think that being a man means you got to fight every time somebody steps to you the wrong way. They think that being a man means that you got to, somebody disrespects you, you got to go to your car and you got to get your gun and come back and shoot people that done nothing wrong to you. And as a result, we got a whole generation that has very little value for human life. And I'm sitting here saying to you today that it's in large part, not totally, but it's in large part because we haven't had fathers speaking life identifying our kids, letting them know you are strong, letting our girls know you're beautiful. I, I've, been, I've been telling my daughter she's beautiful since she was a little bitty girl, man, since she was old enough to understand words. I've been telling her she's beautiful. I've had date, dates with my daughter since she was a little bitty girl, and my goal is to make sure she knows what it feels like to be taken care of the right way so she won't accept being taken care of the wrong way by somebody, come on, who's approaching her for all the wrong reasons. Can I get an amen, somebody? But can I tell you that we need, to, we need to do more than just hug and kiss on our girls, fathers. We need to hug and kiss on even our sons. We should teach our sons to be tough. I saw this post the other day. I mean, we, we ought to teach our sons, don't start a fight. But if somebody else started, you ought to act like you're the third monkey on the ark heading up that, that, that ramp. Some of you get that when you're in the car driving home. Which means I'm going to finish this thing. But even, I say, even as we teach our sons to be tough and to be able to defend themselves, we ought to still teach them that there's nothing wrong with a man having real emotion. Amen. I have two sons. I got a 19-year-old who'll be 20 in another month and a half, and I got a 15-year-old son who's getting ready to be 16 in a few weeks. I still grab them, and I still hug them every chance I get. 
I still kissed him on the cheek every chance I get. And I've already told him, if you don't like it, you better get used to it. Because even when you got kids of your own, I'm still going to be kissing you. <laughs> Why? Because we got a whole generation that doesn't understand what it means to experience the love of a father. And we need more fathers who are willing to speak into the lives of our kids. Come on. You got you to stop being silent, dads. Open up your mouth and realize that your kid's identity is hanging in the balance, waiting on you to speak life over them. Can I get an amen, somebody? God has called dads to be prophet. He's called us to be priest. The priest in Israel represented God's people in his presence. They were the mediators between God and his people. The priests served the people on God's behalf, and they represented the people before God himself. The priests were the mediators. The priests were the ones standing in the gap in the middle, representing God to the people and representing the people to God. God has called fathers in the home to be the priest of the home. Proverbs 28.5 says, Evil men do not understand justice, but those who long for and seek the Lord understand it fully. See, fathers commit to seek the Lord on behalf of our families. It means that fathers, we refuse to leave our families uncovered. One of the jobs of the high priest was to atone for the sins of Israel. When Israel had committed sins, the, 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 the high priest would go into God's presence once a year, take the blood of an animal, put it on the mercy seat to atone or to cover up the sins of Israel. God has called us as the fathers, the dad in the house to be priests, which means, watch, as we cover our families with the blood of Jesus Christ. And thank God today we don't have to take a brush and put it over the doorposts and side posts of our house we cover our families with the blood of Jesus by the words that come out of our mouths. That means that every day before you let your kids walk out of the house, come on, before your wife walks out of the house, you ought to make a declaration that the blood of Jesus Christ covers my family. Come on, from the crown of your head to the soles of your feet. Come on, no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. No harm or danger comes near you in any way. Your words have power. Your words have authority in heaven, man. And every demon in hell ought to know when you wake up every day, Father. Every day your feet hit the floor, the devil's in hell ought to scream, he's up again. Because they ought to know that you're not going to wake up and allow your family to remain uncovered. See, fathers have got to rise up, listen to this, and assume the role of chief prayer warrior in the house. Most of the time when we think of prayer warrior in the home, we tend to think of the mom. But that's not a job that we're supposed to relegate to mom. Nothing wrong with you moms, we love you moms. But it's not, it's not for dad to leave the chief prayer warrior role to mom alone. Even if your prayers wives, aren't as eloquent as your wife's might be. Even if you don't pray as long as your wife might pray. Can I tell you, your voice is registered in heaven. And heaven will respond because you took the time to get up and cover your family. To make sure that they're covered and that heaven knows what the needs are of your house. The Bible says this in 2 Chronicles chapter 4, chapter 7, verse 14. It says, if my people, let's insert here for, for today's purposes, if my dads, who are called by my name, would humble themselves and just pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, God says, I would hear you from heaven, I would forgive your sin, here it is, and I would heal your land. Notice what amazing and powerful things could happen when prayer starts with dad and and it opens up the door for God to turn around and start healing our land, start healing our home. And guess what? The neighborhood can't get healed until the home gets healed. 
Come on, the city can't get healed until the neighborhood gets healed. The state can't get healed until the city gets healed. The country can't get healed until the states get healed. The world can't get healed until the United States comes to a place of healing. But it all starts with dad opening up his mouth and seeking God on behalf of his family. He said, if you're called by his name and humble yourself, he would heal your, your land. Ezekiel 22, verse 30, God said this. He said, so I sought for a man. Everybody shout a man. Man. I can't hear. Everybody shout a man. Man. He said, I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land. So I wouldn't have to destroy it. But here's the sad part. God said, but I couldn't find anybody. He said, I was looking for somebody that wasn't so busy, caught up in the latest game. I was looking for somebody that wasn't so busy allowing the spiritual things to be mama's duty. Somebody that would stand in the gap, give me space to exercise some grace. He said, but I couldn't find anybody. God is still looking for a man who will pray destruction off of his family. Can I just tell you, brothers, you matter to God. Let me say it again, because this is not what the world tells us. Let me just say, you matter to God. Can I just take it a step further? You matter to your family, too. Don't let the world tell you anything different than that. So another one of the key components of our priestly duty as fathers is that we provide service and sacrifice. One of the things that that men, we, we provide for our families is service, and we provide sacrifice. If you go back and you research in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, when Adam is there and he's alone with God, the Bible says God gives him two jobs, two duties. He's, he told him to dress and to keep his garden. And God is still saying the same thing. Every man, your, your, your primary two duties in your house is to dress your garden. Your, your garden is everything you have authority over. Our primary duty is to dress our garden and to keep the garden. Well, what does it mean to dress the garden? It, it fits in with the priestly duties. To dress the garden meant to work the garden without wages. Meant to work your garden without wages, which means every man does the right thing whether we get an applause for it or not. In fact, I'd say it this way. The definition of manhood is responsibility. If you were to look in God's dictionary and you were to look up manhood, God's definition of manhood is responsibility. That means we seek to serve with no expectation of payback which means men, this is what real men do. We serve with no applause. We serve with no reciprocation, which means even if nobody else has given it back to us, and we serve even if we don't get the appreciation we deserve. Now, notice not what we hear in society today, man. Today we hear, man, if she ain't doing it, if she ain't doing it, if you don't do it for hurting. She ain't giving you none. Don't be out there cutting that grass and she ain't giving you none. Look at me in that tone of voice. You know how I am. <laughs> no, a, a man, watch, a man, hear me out, hear me out. I know we don't get this teaching in a lot of places, but a man does what's right because it's right to do. Amen. And I'm not saying this always easy. Sometimes it's easier to say it than it is to actually do it. But that's the premise. That's how God raises up men. And, I, and I'm saying this because we need to see more examples of what real manhood looks like today. We really do. We need to see more men that will stick with their family because it's the right thing to do. We need to see more men that will press past how they feel in the moment. I remember a few years ago, man, I, I, actually I've had three seasons in my life where I went through a real tough, just emotional battle, man. 2006, 2013, and 2019. So 2006 and 2013, I, I was going through these battles where I, I just felt unappreciated. 
Just unappreciated. I feel like nobody, I mean, I'm, I'm giving my guts to everybody. I was mad at all y'all. Church, <laughs> home, I was mad at everybody. That was 2006 and 2013. That wasn't the case in 2019. 2019, I went through a real tough time because I was getting ready to turn 50 in 2020, and I was just struggling. <laughs> I was struggling, man. I don't know why I was. I was struggling. But in 2006 and 2013, I went through two really rough patches where emotionally, I wasn't like, you know, you know suicidal or anything like that, but wasn't getting ready to leave my family or anything like that. But I was just going through a battle, man. And I think it's important to know that because sometimes you all sit out there and think that because we stand here on the stage and deliver the word to you, that we just kind of float around, you know, like a Latin or something. But the reality is we got to get up and live this word out the same way that you do. And is there anybody that's ever just found yourself going through a little bit of a funk? That's about 12 honest people. Let me ask, let me ask, let me ask you again. Anybody ever found yourself going through a little emotional funk? Yeah, I, I was going through an emotional funk, man. I, I'm struggling. It, nothing new had happened. I just started looking at everything with the wrong perspective. I'm like, man, I'm doing all this. I'm working. I'm busting my butt. Nobody really appreciated it. I know this. I've been teaching this for years. I didn't just come up with this revelation. I know that to dress the garden means to work your garden without wages. I know that a man does what is right, even if you don't get an applause for it. Even if the family doesn't appreciate you like they should. But I still was struggling. And thank God I had my, one of my best friends, Joe Gregory. I called him in, in 2006, and I was sharing with him what I was going through. That's why every man needs a brother you can talk to. I called him, and I started sharing with him, and he, 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 he let me vent for a little bit. Then he got me back on the word and reminded me. And that's what we do, G. That we do what's right no matter what is going on around us. And that helped me get back on track. But what was, what was, what was crazy is that, that was one thing that helped me get back on track. He gave me the right words. And then, like, literally one year later, he called me like, gee, I'm so upset. They don't even appreciate me around this house. I'm like, remember all that stuff you told me last year? <laughs> so it was a good friend that helped me get back on track. And then at the end of 2006, my wife found out she was pregnant with our last child, Kazan. And there's something about just knowing that it's time to kick it into gear again that helped me get my perspective back right and be reminded that at the end of the day, if I never get the applause, and don't get me wrong, I have a good family. Uh, I have a wife who cares for me well. I was going through something. And I'm saying this because some of you men probably have found yourself going through something similar as well. And see, the, the book of Philippians says it this way in chapter 2, verse 17. Paul said, but even if my life is to be poured out like a drink offering to complete the sacrifice of your faithful service, that is, if I am to die for you, Paul said, I will rejoice and I also want to share my joy with all of you. Paul said, I'm willing to let my whole life just be poured out. He said, use me up. Pour me out like a drink offering. And see, I, I always tend to say this to men, that nobody else understands what a man goes through really except another man. No disrespect to you ladies, because nobody understands what a lady goes through but another lady. But nobody understands what it means to be a man and have the weight of your family on your shoulders. I'm talking about a man that does it well. Because a real man is not going to take off and run when the pressure hits him. But, to, but to, 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 try to, to, to have it on your shoulders to, to figure it out and, and to come up with solutions and to make sure the needs of your family are taken care of. It's a, it's a weight that we gladly hang on to and we cast the care of it on God. But nobody else understands what that feels like except another man, which is why every man needs community. You can't afford to be out here being an island by yourself, brother. You can't afford to be out here and you're so private. You don't tell nobody your business. You're out here handling it on your own. The devil wants you to be an island because he thinks he can sink you if he gets you out there all by yourself. That's why, brothers, you need small groups 
That's why you need to be in a department where you connect with some other men, because all of us as men, we need community. God has called us to be prophet. He's called us to be priest, but he's also called us in our home to be king. Kings ruled over God's people as an extension of God's own rule. Kings were responsible for upholding justice and keeping the peace. Kings were also symbolic reminders of God's power and God's authority. Bible says in Proverbs 29, 2, show me a righteous ruler and I'll show you a happy people. Show me a wicked ruler and I'll show you a miserable people. See, God has called fathers to rise up to exercise righteous but loving authority in our homes. That's the way God designed it. Dad, don't let yourself get pushed off the place where God has called you to be. We don't need to walk around pounding our chest, talking about I'm the boss of the house. What he wants us to do is exercise some loving authority, some loving leadership. See, two of the greatest threats to fatherhood today are what I call the dumb dad syndrome that you see today. And a word I just learned the other day as an actual word is the demasculinization. If you look up demasculinization, it literally, literally means to remove the masculine character or qualities. And I say this to all of you fathers out here. Dads are not dumb. Dads, we care more about, we care about more than just sports and cars and electronics, no matter what TV tries to portray us as. And I need dads to understand and recognize this. Can we just all say this, brothers, and, and, and say a hearty amen to this? It is an honor to be a man. <laughs> I, said it's, I said it's an honor to be a man. <laughs> I, I, I didn't get a big enough amen right there. I'm getting a little nervous. Let me say it again. It is an honor to be a man. <laughs> right? Never been a woman, never had a desire to be a woman, never planned to be a woman. But I think we need to also recognize that this whole thought of toxic masculinity, that we don't want to go overboard with it, but we do need to recognize God created us with a certain level of masculinity for the purpose of caring for and taking care of our families. As I told you this, in Genesis 2.15, Adam was given two jobs, to dress his garden, but also to keep the garden. To keep the garden means to protect the garden and keep out all intruders. That's what God has called us to do. My job in my house is to keep out all intruders. Yeah, that means physically. Somebody tries to come through my door. You come through my door at 2 in the morning. I ain't praying for you. I'm praying a nice trip to heaven. (laughs) My job is to protect my family. It's to protect my family physically, protect my family from sickness and disease, protect my family from confusion and strife. That's my job. That's why, every, that's why every dad has to have the mindset. I'm not going to walk in and quit my job tomorrow because they made me mad. A father, has to, a father has to protect his family from poverty by realizing even if I don't love this job right now, I'm going to stay on until God blesses me with another one. A father has to be the one that says to his family that we will tithe as a family. It shouldn't be mama's decision. It shouldn't be mother begging you and she got to give you 12 scriptures and convince you and She's spent all her time praying that you get a revelation of tithing. It's dad that comes because my job is to protect my family from poverty. My job is to keep my family honoring God. It's my job. Tithing in our house is my idea. I'm not going along with it to please my wife or to get her to just leave me alone. It's my idea. I want heaven to have it on record that the head of this house has made a decision to honor God. And I've taught this to my children, man. 
to where my children now, man, they, they, they get their checks and they each on their own pay their own tithe, honor God in their own way. They look for ways to be generous to bless other people all on their own because God has allowed their dad to teach them what it means to honor him. That's my job to protect my family. I remember one time years ago, we were in New York as a family, and we were there, and we had gone to a movie theater in, in Times Square. And my, my oldest son, Caden, he's 19 now, sitting here on the front row. Stand up, so let him see how good you look, boy. That's a good-looking kid right there. Come on, turn around. That's model material right there. And he's single, so if you need to talk to me, I'll meet you later on. <laughs> but my son, he had to be about 11 at the time, man, and and we're in the movie theater, and he wasn't feeling well. You know, he wasn't feeling well before we left the hotel, but we were thinking just some cold symptoms. And as the day progressed, he started feeling worse. And so we're in the movie theater. And this, this was in, a, in New York, so they hadn't renovated yet, so you didn't have all that room to extend your feet. And so we're sitting this, you know, kind of pretty close from your, your, your legs to the next seat. And we're sitting, it was me, then April, and then Kerrigan, then Kazan, and then Caden was on the other end. So we're hearing out of bookends to the family. And so he keeps getting up, kind of coming down to me. He's like, Dad, I don't feel well. And so I, I took time to pray for him. I'm asking him, tell me the symptoms, and then he'll go back to see. Fifteen minutes later, he came back. Now, he probably did it about three, maybe four times. And because the seats are so close, he's a kid, so he's probably bumping the seat a little bit. He wasn't, like, knocking anybody over, but he's kind of coming back and forth. And there's a little guy sitting in front of me, and he kept turning around. <laughs> you know, he's trying to turn around. Uh, I guess if he turned around enough time, he thought he was going to get our attention and make him stop. And I, and I apologize. I said, my bad. He's not feeling well. I tried to help him understand what was going on. I said, my son's not feeling well. And so he went back to see that he came back again. And as he came back this time, the dude turned around and he was like, can you please tell him to stop walking back and forth? Now, I want to tell y'all that <laughs> because of all my Christianity, I want, to, I want to say that I leaned up and said, dear brother, please pardon us in Jesus' name. I'll see to it that he sits down right away and, and, and won't walk back again. I didn't say any of that. In fact, what I did, <laughs> I leaned up, I got real close. I said, man, if you turn around one more time, <laughs> Trista, I said, I'm going to grab you and snatch you up here on this road where we are. I said, it'd be the last time you ever turn around. <laughs> I said, I told you my son doesn't feel well, and that's all that matters right now. How I many know in that moment, all I was concerned about was making sure my son was well. That's what dads do. That's what dads do. Somebody sent me this earlier this week. It was, it, was a, it was an interview. They did an interview with a known serial child molester. And they asked him the question, what was the one characteristic that caused you to identify and target certain children? He said, oh, it was nothing about the children. He said, I never even paid attention to the characteristics of the children. He said, I always look for either a weak dad or an absent dad. So I knew if the dad was absent or if the dad was weak and, I, and there wasn't going to be any response from him, I knew I could pray on this kid. What am I saying? Don't let the world tell you, dad, to sit back and be weak. Don't let the world tell you you're going to be absent. You fight to be a part of your children's lives. Fight to be an integral part of their lives because, dad, you are needed way more than this world wants you to know. Come on, give God a praise in this place. Lift your hands, Father, I pray over every family represented here right now. Especially these fathers, Lord, I pray that every dad sitting in here and those that are watching online, give every one of us a sense of fulfillment, a sense of pride as to who you called us to be, 
a sense of security that we are needed in this family. And I pray, Father God, that you would be the one that gives us a standing ovation on the inside. No matter what appreciation or lack thereof comes from around us, let us be secure in knowing we are doing the job you called us to do. Father, I pray for every family that is mourning the loss of a dad today. I pray for every hurt that is living with a father wound because their dad is alive but just not actively a part of their life. And I pray for that person this moment, Lord, that you'll let it still be a good Father's Day. Remind them you are a father to the fatherless, and you're the one who supplies every need in our lives. Father, we love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come on, give God your best praise right here. Yeah. Right, every head bowed and every eye closed in prayer. We haven't dismissed yet, so I'm going to ask you to please maintain your seat. Every head bowed, every eye closed in prayer. If you're in here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then I'm going to ask you, ma'am or sir, will you please give me a chance to lead you in a simple prayer? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to stand up and come here to the front of the auditorium. But actually, right there in your seat or right there online, I want to lead you in a really simple prayer that will change your life forever. See, the truth of the matter is God is the one who comes knocking on the door of every human heart. And when he comes knocking on our door, he's asking us to open up and let him in. Salvation is not based on how good or bad you've been. It's not based on one day you get to heaven and God puts all your good works and your bad works on the scale. Truth of the matter is, salvation is a gift, but it's got to be received by the person on the other end. So if you're here today and you do not know Jesus as your Lord, if you were to die today, if you cannot say for sure, you'd go to heaven. I'm inviting you today to open up your heart and come into a relationship with Jesus. I know sometimes people make you think you've got to fix everything in your life. You got to put a list of all the stuff you promised to stop doing, but God doesn't ask you for any of that. In fact, God's not moved by where you are right now, and He's not moved by what you've done in your past. He's not even moved by what may happen in your future. What He's moved by is you surrendering your life to Him. That's really all He requires. Surrender your life completely to Him and let Him take you by the hand, change you on the inside, and then teach you how to have victory on the outside. So with every head bowed and every eye closed in prayer, I'm going to count to three. When I get to three here in just a moment, if you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus, I'm going to ask you to shoot your hand up as high as you can. I'm going to ask you to do it as soon as I get to three because let me tell you, the devil's going to do his best to try to talk you out of it. He's going to tell you, wait till next week. But I promise you, you don't have a guarantee you will see next week without Jesus in your life. So if you're ready today to surrender your life to Christ, when I get to three, I'm going to ask you to shoot your hand up as high as you can. Here we go. One, two, three. Lift that hand up. Thank you. Beautiful. I love it. I love it. Hands there. Hands there. Hand there. Another hand there. Hands there. Beautiful. Beautiful. I see that hand. I see that hand. Thank you. I see that hand there. Another hand right there. Thank you. A whole bunch of hands there on the other side. All over the room, hands are going up. How about online? Are, 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 you, are you raising your hand there? Do you sense God talking to you right there in your house? If so, go ahead and raise your hand. Just so heaven has it on record, you're saying yes to Jesus Christ. Now, every one of you that raised your hand, I want you to whisper this prayer right there at your seat. Say, dear God in heaven, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die in my place. He paid the price for my sin, but you raised him from the dead, and I know he's alive right now. Jesus, come into my heart now. Save me. Forgive me. Make me brand new. I surrender my life to you for the rest of my days, and according to the Bible, I am born again. Amen. Come on, Impact Church. Help us celebrate today.